0: So then, okay then, here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. Today I'd like to talk about my experiences with my seventh Vipassana retreat. I've just completed a 10-day Vipassana retreat and I just got back today But before we get into that, a few comments. Now, I will acknowledge that if you're listening to this in release order, we are still in the middle of Finding Other Worlds, which is our series, which is a commentary on the Chronicles of Narnia. And so we do still have to finish that off. There's not much to go. There's two more books to go. I don't know how many more comments I'll have or when that will happen. But we do have to interrupt because, well, I release in order of things that are happening for me. So for me, I am also still up to where we were, which was with Reapy Cheap going over the edge of the world. And I did think I would get it done before I went away to my... (laughs) meditation retreat maybe there's a a a coincidence there (laughs) that i went off to the meditation retreat right when reepy cheap went over the edge of the world i wonder if reepy cheap has ever done a meditation retreat huh so we will get back to that and i'll also say i'll also mention that if you are A regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast. Please share your favorite episode, as this will help me find my audience. It will help to get things going. It will help to find the people who are interested to hear the kinds of things we're talking about here. Now, what to say about a 10-day Vipassana retreat? Well, there's really a lot to say Surprisingly, after 10 days of no talking and non-stop meditation, (laughs) there's there's really more experiences in the inner world than can be put into just a few words. So I'll take my time. We'll see what happens. We'll see what I can remember, what comes up. And probably first and foremost, it's always challenging. It's always challenging. A 10-day meditation retreat is difficult. It's not normal. It is not something that can be done on a whim. It's something that takes real commitment. It takes a kind of guts. It takes nerves. And the thing I struggle with most is the physical nature of it. Now, you are just sitting there, but sitting is actually very physical, because for the majority of my time, I didn't have a backrest, so it's sitting cross-legged on a cushion. And there is also strong determined sitting, (laughs) which I'll talk a bit more about, and I have spoken about in the past. So, I got a really sore back. I got a really sore neck. I got sore shoulders. I got sore legs. But I did get stronger as the retreat went on, as the days went on. Then, as for the internal side of it, well, that's also challenging. Because things come up. Things come up. Things, well, things bubble. You go into areas that you don't normally do. You go into thoughts, memories, feelings. Sensations that you don't normally have because of your normal life. And of course, even for the first few days, a lot of that is actually burning of the things that are in your normal life that are just like junk, junk thinking, junk diet, junk stimulation, like screen time and internet use, junk interactions with people, dare I say it, and just little habits or idiosyncrasies that you pick up because of where you are in your culture, in your society, in your town, in your place. So burning that off is even half the challenge, but then you get into the deeper challenge, which is looking at, well, who you are, what is going on inside you. What are the longer-ranging things that are happening for you that you haven't resolved? Now, as for the technique, I'm going to assume it's basically... I mean, I don't want to talk too much about the technique because you can easily find that out for yourself and there's not much to it. It's actually very simple. You basically, you have three things to do. Keep your eyes closed, sit still, and watch your breath. And you just watch the breath as it goes in and out at the very tip of your nose. And you do that for three days. And then for the next seven days, you're moving your attention, which you've focused on your nose for the first three days, around different parts of the body. Allah, also known as the body scan. So you're scanning the body. And that's it, right? That's like four things to do and two of them are keeping your eyes closed and sitting still so you really only have one thing to do very simple now (laughs) as it turns out actually remembering to do those and at certain points during the retreat it's very hard it's very difficult to do that and that's part of the frustration that's part of the trip because it's so simple And yet so tricky, there's so many things that are twisted within your phenomenological experience that stop you from doing that. Whether it's thoughts or emotions or distractions in the room or distractions with the other people in the course or what you're doing before it or after it or any any number of things. So simple, but powerful and tricky and challenging. So that's a little bit about the the technique. Now for the format, well, there's not really much to say about that either. Because you're either meditating in your room or meditating in the hall. And those are pretty much the only things you're doing. Now there are details about Some meditation sessions are formal group sittings, and some of them are more lenient, and then there are also check-ins with the assistant teacher, and there are sort of question times, and if you're an old student, then you might have a spot in the pagoda, so then you've got three places to meditate, but really, you don't need to worry about that. If you're thinking of doing one, you you just go with the flow, you're just doing what you do, and then there's also meal times as well, right? So... You just go with the program, you just go with the flow, and you don't have to think much about, well, what you're doing next. So, the format itself, the schedule itself, what really needs to be understood about it is that there's a degree of how much you can hold yourself to it, and how much you can try to Sort of ease your way through it. Now, either way, if you're going through it, that's something, right? Going through the course is always going to be different to whatever you do in your normal day life. But then within that, you can say, okay, I'm going to do every session in the hall and not go to my room. Or I'm going to spend more time in my room. Or I'm going to spend more time in the pagoda. And these sort of subtle differences, these sort of, places actually do make a difference as to how tricky it is for you to make your way through and how much work you're putting in, right? So you can, how do I say this? You can just go to your room at certain times and lie on your bed, right? But that's very different to going to the pagoda and saying, okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to really work on this. And that that difference between those two things really is the difference of attitude. And regardless of the schedule, that difference is huge. Now, it's my seventh retreat, right? So your first question must be, well, are you getting it? Have you got it? Is it working for you? Are you good at it, right? Have you got Have you got the big idea? After this many times, you would think you would be getting it, right? Now, (laughs) I still count myself as very much beginner in the technique and just the path of spirituality in general. So, it's a bit of a trick question because the answer is no, I'm not getting it. And this would also tie into the thing with saying... Well, it's still hard. It's still challenging for me. But I do notice that there are great strengths that have come. There are great inner treasures that have come. And even just remembering those and renewing those within me actually makes me think, you know what, I am actually wow, like, whew, I mean, how do I put this? I am getting it. I do get it. It is quite amazing how much I've learned, how far I've come, how much difference it makes. And you would think, well, another way, let, let's put it another way. You'd think if it's working, you'd keep doing it, right? If something works, you keep doing it. I keep signing up for them. And I keep applying for them. So they obviously do something. And that's a thought that I have every time I do a 10-day Vipassana retreat. I think, this is something I need. This is giving me something which I can't get anywhere else in any other way. And it's so valuable. It's so powerful. And it's quite hard to exactly put your finger on it. It's quite hard to actually illustrate that in words. Because it's deep, and it's broad, and it's general. You can say, well, let's put it this way. You can say, well, I'm I'm more clear, generally speaking. I have more clarity. I'm more grounded. I'm more happy. I have more of an understanding of where I want to go in life. I have more of an understanding of how my feelings are affecting my behaviours. Now, all of this is general stuff, right? It's really general, broad sort of things. You can't say something like, well, before I went on this 10-day retreat, I used to do this, and afterwards, now I don't. It's not that black and white. So, that feeling, and I don't know if it's entirely a feeling, it's more of a... It's really just an inner treasure. It's a it's a realization unto yourself of what's important. And that thing is something so valuable. It's so important to remind ourselves of. And I'm very glad that I've <laughs> had the wisdom to go on the retreat to remind myself of it again. So, normally... They have this thing called strong, determined sitting, which is where you sit without moving your posture. You sit as still as a statue, even if you get an itch in your nose. And if you've ever done this, it's like st- it's like meditation on steroids. It's, it's hardcore stuff. It's really powerful stuff. Now, normally, this isn't introduced until day four of the retreat, but this time... I said, okay, from day one, I'm going to do it for every session that I can. I'm going to do strong, determined sitting every single session. No matter what, I'm going to push my way through it. And I was able to do that. I was able to do that for the whole 10 days with just minimal movements and minimal weight shifts. Like if you shift your weight once in one day, you know, <laughs> I still count that as strong, determined sitting for a whole day. And this is different to meditation retreats when I've done the retreat in a, in the past where I've said, okay, I'm just going to make it as easy as I can for myself. I'm just going to do it like I'll change my posture. I'll scratch my nose if it's itchy. I'll stretch my legs whenever I need to, Whatever. Whatever it can do, whatever I can do to make it comfortable for myself, I'm going to do it. Now, doing it like that, I found I got a lot less out of it. And this is another key thing to understand. This is another key, simple way to go about having a good attitude. And it's so simple and yet so powerful. And it's that the more you put in, the more you get out. It sounds like a cliche insight, right? But it's really true. If you do it exactly as you're told, if you follow the instructions, you say, no, I'm not going to do anything else but apart from what exactly is prescribed to me, and I'm going to do it like Goenka says, diligently, persistently, patiently, ardently, and I do it that way, then you get the most out of it. And that's what I found. And that's what I found with this retreat. It was really, it was really something. Now, as for the, well, now now's probably a good way for me to explain, now's probably a good point in the conversation for me to explain that there's this thing of sitting, right? Now, we got to the end of the, retreat and we were all talking because you have the last day of talking where you get to share your experiences and there's sort of this funny moment where we're all we're all standing around we're saying oh did you see that guy he could sit like this and i heard this guy he could sit like this and it's sort of it's sort of like this funny it's it's turned into a sport right of like who can sit the best the longest and it, it's just so funny that that guys talk about sitting meditation in that way <laughs> and and i remember like when i was first doing these retreats thinking the same like oh that guy could sit for like 3 hours oh oh that guy was that guy was sitting when i came in and he was still sitting when i came out of the hall you know, this sort of thing, like how oh, how how can I learn to sit for that long? Oh, I wish I could sit for like oh, did you hear about that guy for sit that sat for like twelve hours? You know, this sort of thing. And it's just like this funny <laughs> it's this funny sport thing of like all these guys idolizing this sort of I guess successful successful person. I don't know if successful is the right word. Are you are you successful if you can sit for three hours? <laughs> But for me now, it's perfectly clear that there's a difference between sitting and interior development. A very big difference. These are two totally separate things. Now, sitting is great because it forces you to be alert. It brings you into the immediate present. And there's really nothing else like it. It's not like standing and it's not like lying down. And it's not like walking. It's not like all the other things that we do normally. Even if you're normally sitting in an office chair, you're not actually sitting like you're sitting in meditation because your back isn't straight. You've got a backrest. So sitting, sitting is very important. But then again, we all have different bodies. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different genetics. And this can affect, well, how hard it is for some people to sit cross-legged on a cushion. For some people, it is really hard. It simply is just difficult. And it always will be just because of their body. So, don't think that that is something you have to master, you have to be good at, and don't ever think that that is a indication of someone's interior development. Now, to expand on interior development, this is a tricky one, it's a complicated one, because it's also not just the fact that It's also not just that if you can do the technique very well, you have a developed interior. Of course, it helps, it's the way in this tradition, but that doesn't cut it for me. That's not enough for me. And then there's also, well, how do you know someone's interior? How do you know how developed they are? And the answer to that is, well, the only way you can know is by talking about it. And some people can be highly developed in their interior, but not know how to talk about it very well. So judging how developed someone is, it's a very tricky game. It's a very funny game. And... There's a whole bunch of things like, well, say you're bad at the technique or you're struggling with the technique, but you don't really struggle with it, then that can actually be a sign of maturity. That can actually be a sign of really understanding your own interior quite well and yet not being able to do the technique. So say you're sitting there, you're watching your breath, you're trying to concentrate And your mind keeps wandering. Then you get frustrated that you can't do it. And you get hung up and beat yourself up. And you say, oh, why can't I do it? Oh, this is so hard. I wish I could do it more. Oh, every time I do it, I have to remind myself again. Now, that little head trip, that little thing of beating yourself up, that's something you can relax. That's something you can actually have a maturity with and come back to in a way that is, well, it's not a clenching, it's not a fighting within yourself. And that would be an indication, if you can do that, that you have harmony. And harmony is one of those things that indicate that your interior is well-designed, it's well-developed. Now, in the cases of a 10-day retreat, that little thing is actually quite a big thing. Because you can get to the point where you've been trying to meditate all day and you just can't. You just can't do the technique. You can't bring yourself to it. And each way you look inside you, whether it's in memories or feelings or thoughts, it's impossible for you to get back to the technique. And this can happen even with knowing That you shouldn't beat yourself up. Because, of course, this is explained to you. This is actually said, you know. Don't get into this tangle. This tangle is sort of a textbook standard tangle. So, even with it explained to you and a knowledge of it, it still can creep up on you. And when you've got 10 days of non-stop meditation, there's plenty of chances for that to happen. There's many ways in which it can happen. So I definitely reached the point where I couldn't do the technique. And I think I was quite good at relaxing through that as a phase. So I I feel quite good. I feel quite comfortable with how I navigate that. I'm quite proud of myself for how I dealt with that. And for me personally, there weren't any big issues. There weren't any large things brooding within me. And I don't know if that means I'm not going deep enough or if it's not digging deep enough. But I'd say that it really is part of being grounded really is part of going into it with a kind of strength a kind of a good attitude a committed attitude of i am going to do this so that's really what i can say about my experiences and 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 these sorts of comments like these sorts of things that we say about our experiences on these sorts of retreats they're not they're not really exact. They're not really fair to say in the words that they're said. Because we can say, well, take something like memory, right? So you're going to have memories as you're sitting there doing your retreat, trying to do this technique. Certain memories will come up. Now, certain memories will reoccur. And then also... Certain memories will be from certain depths. Now, when you have all of these components of the memory, the depth and the reoccurrence rate and the sensations and just the general flavor of it, and that's being explored, what happens is another property opens up and that. Property or that sort of essence within you is the thing that can't be put into words. It's the thing that is sort of inside your being which is related to memories but isn't quite memories. And that's something that can't be put into words. That's something that you explore, or at least I had, explored on my recent retreat, on this retreat. So it's tricky. You always have to be careful with the words. You always have to be sort of not too quick to put how simple they are into what the conclusion of their implications are. So another thing that happened and <laughs> this, this always happens. This happens every retreat. And lots of people said that this was the same for them when we were talking about it. Um, it's crazy dreams. So I had the most crazy dream on the first night. It was just like out of this world. And these dreams that I've had, like always I've had dreams which I've remembered so strongly, and they've left me with this like profound feeling, and it happens every time on these retreats, and I love it, I just think it's amazing, I think the dreamscape world is, well, I mean, I've had some experiences with exploring it, like I've looked into lucid dreamings, and I've done sort of analysis and dream diaries and things like that, so it's always been an, an interest of mine and maybe we can talk more about that in the future and we can share some techniques i was even able to talk about some certain techniques with one of the guys at the on this retreat but it's just like wow i can't believe how crazy a dream can be so like i had almost every night it was this was happening but the, the main one was the first night where i had this dream where It was like I was the camera, like my point of view was a camera, and it was over some coastal waves, and the waves were really choppy and like washy and really violent, and the camera was zooming in on these waves. And while this was happening, there was this big, epic, classical music playing, and as the camera got closer to the water, I noticed there was a fishing rod sticking out of the waves. And then as I got closer, as the camera moved closer, the point of view moved closer, I noticed there were two feet sticking out next to the fishing rod, like sticking out up from the water. And then I realized that the water was actually receding. It was actually going down. And as it went down, it revealed that the two feet were, well, actually this man. And there was this man who was, well, don't ask me how I know, but he was German, he was white, he was about in his 50s, light hair, and he was upside down on this rock shelf with his eyes closed as these ocean waves were receding away from him, and as he was there he looked so relaxed he was completely relaxed and the camera got really close to him and he with his eyes still closed he picks up the the uh, the fishing rod and starts like casually fishing like it's just normal stuff like he was just waiting for the waves to go around and he's still relaxed and still the music is playing and then he starts to sing in this huge operatic voice along with the classical music with his eyes closed. And he sings the words, silently, I look around me. And in that second, there's a short pause and he opens his eyes, looks right into me and then we switch places and i am him <laughs> and i am looking around and then all of a sudden there's silence and the music stops and the sound of the waves stops and there's silence and i'm and i'm looking around and it's like this like this rocky intricate like surreal crazy just you know out of this world place that i'm in and i'm just like Whoa. And then, and then, <laughs> and then the next part of the dream, I was like on a beach and I needed to go pee-pee. Uh, but I don't think that was related to what this this man was doing. And this this whole sequence of like these waves going down and this man fishing and opening his eyes and the loud um, loud classical music, it all happened in a couple of seconds, right? So it was just just insane, insane intensity. And I woke up and I was like, "Who is this man? Someone I have never seen in my life?" And he was like, my, like, damn!" Like he was upside down under waves, on a rocky cliff shelf, relaxed with his eyes closed, fishing singing an opera. And he opens his eyes and looks right at me. It's just like, pow, man, what a trip. And it's just, wow. I mean, and then what came from that over the next couple of days is I was actually singing that that song, right? And I even extended it a little bit and turned it into a little bit of a song. So, Maybe would you like me to? Would you like me to sing it? I haven't transcribed it yet. I really want to transcribe it properly. Let me see if I can do it in key. So it's like, duh, duh. silently, I look around me, and I see. All this world has come to be. Silently, I turn towards you, And through and through, I see what I must do. I see what we must do, I see what we must, what we must do. Something like that. I think I'll have to work out the ending bit. And like, sure, I can't sing and there's no chords and <laughs> there's no <laughs> there's no big opera symphony going along with it, but like to have that as this huge opera in this man who was just underwater was like whoa like what like it's just it's just an explosion really it's just like this inside it's like you have this thing inside you which explodes and it's like joy and magic and like like it makes me smile and i think wow i'm so warm and it and it doesn't mean anything it's not like i'm going to go out and do something about this right it's not like oh so now i have to do this with my life right it's just it's just wow it's just well it's astonishing it's astonishing really that these things can happen it's astonishing that that i can be so speechless at something so mystical, that's just just inside, right? It's just a dream. And, wow, man, what a trip. So, that was just, that was probably the main dream. Like, that was the main one. And then, there were some others as well, which weren't in that flavor. Some of them were sort of like more into the attitude or the feeling of, what I'd been thinking about during the day, and they had a different meaning, and I actually found that there was a sort of correlation between their symbolic meaning and what my attitude for the coming weeks and, and just generally would be. So that's a little bit about the dreamscape. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, yeah, so amazing. And you'll probably experience the same thing if you are on a 10-day meditation retreat. I mean, this is a thing that you it's not just it's not just the retreat. It's a stage of development. It's a stage of it's a stage of awareness. And even Goenka talks about this when he talks about the yogis who don't sleep but they rest the body. Now he doesn't go into dreamscape analysis. That's not part of the technique or the method or the tradition. But it is accounted for within this tradition. So, yeah. And then, I mean, there's also, I mean, to move on with my experiences from the 10-day retreat, there was like, I mean, another really big thing is the people that you meet at the end and the conversations you get to have with those people because after 10 days everyone's soft everyone's got their awareness heightened everyone's sensitive and they've all been listening to the same things right so the thing we probably talk about most is how funny goenker is the teacher and we talk about like the little jokes and the little stories that he has and and many stu- many um Many people said that in the evening discourse, he would be pointing out a certain trap or a certain thing to watch out for, which they had experienced that day, and it was always like he would be explaining things as it was needed at the point in the course that it was needed. So, that was quite a common thing. And it was, it, it, it's very funny, right? its It just makes you smile. Like, And Goenka, I mean, he's just a big teddy bear. You just want to go up to him and hug him and just be like, ah, isn't that great? You're so, oh, he's just so warm. And then, you know, like this Italian guy was was telling me about how he listened to the discourses in Italian, and the translation was not quite right because... With the Italian sort of attitude, it was really harsh. Like, I'm going to hit you if you don't do this and you will fail and this is your last chance. You know, these sorts of phrases, which really put him off, right? And it was quite funny for this Italian guy to say, whoa, is this really what it's all about? But then, of course, he realized that the delivery that Goenka has is really compassionate. It's really warm. It's really fun. It's out of a kind of playfulness, and that was just a really funny difference. And and the Italian guy knew this. I mean, he knows Goenka. So it wasn't like he was left in the dark about it. But <laughs> that's just one funny thing. And I mean, there's so many stories about... There's so many stories that Goenka tells, which just they just make you laugh. And they just make you sort of see the picture... And I mean, I've, I've listened to them seven times now, right? And I still laugh. So, you might say, don't you get bored of them? And, well, you could say that, but actually, you know, boredom or sort of irritation, or I wouldn't say boredom, I might say lack of interest, that's a big thing that you're dealing with, like an ongoing issue throughout the whole 10 days, right? So if you're talking about lack of interest, well, how many uninteresting times do you think there are (laughs) when you're spending 10 hours a day sitting on your ass doing nothing with your eyes closed? (laughs) And that's, well, what can I say about that? I mean, for me... I've never really felt bored because I've always felt that exploring the interior world has so many interests, including the mind. I love to think. Let's be honest. So, I'm rarely bored in meditative practices. I, I I would say it's safe to say I'm never bored. I don't know how it is with other people. I think other people do get bored. I think for some people, boredom is a very big issue. And from what I've heard, it's in those times when you start to think differently. It's in those times of boredom when you start to think more deeply. You're actually forced to find something more deeply. So I would follow that. I would go with that. Go with the boredom. Accept the boredom. Embrace the boredom. If that's something that you are contending with. So, yeah. I mean, to say a little bit more about the people, like, I met this one guy and he was just... He's just ready to jump off. Like, he's just ready to jump into this amazing world of exploring phenomenological experiencing, right? It was his first retreat, and I was just talking to him, I was talking about, you know, certain techniques, you know, telling him some personal stories, and and he was asking questions. He was asking these sort of inquisitive questions, like, oh, like, what is this, and have you ever heard of this? And have you ever done this? And, you know, we're talking and I could just see as we talked more and more, that he really, he, he was really ready for it, right? And it, and it just filled me with so much like, wow, like this renewed, wow, people really want this. People, People are intelligent. There are some really intelligent people out there and and i see them i mean i saw this guy sort of sort of on the edge because he could go both ways right there's no guarantee that he will get like sucked into this path which opens up these huge things and is just radically life changing like it has been for me right that's my story my story is I followed this path and it snowballed and it's, oh my God, it snowballed into this just gargantuan story, this gargantuan, this, this pantheon of experiences that I could not believe, right? Now, this guy, he had the intelligence, he had the intuition, he had the right questions, he had the right nature about him. He had the sensitivity. He had he had everything going for him, but yet I could still see there's there's this there's, there's always the chance that well it just doesn't take. And as to the answer, why does it take with some people and not with others? Well, I don't know. Who knows if anyone can ever answer that question? But really, it's just like wow. There's so many there's so many people that that have an extraordinary potential. And that's something I admire. That's something that fills me with hope. That's something that makes me excited. That makes me that makes me want to talk, right? That makes me want to actually share, right? Because of course, there are also people that don't get it and they're not going to get it. Now on this retreat, And in many retreats, basically, what you're working with is people who are quite sensitive. You're working with people who are quite intelligent already, yeah? So, if you're on a 10-day retreat, you've just done 10 days of meditation, then it's like, well, you know, you're not exactly dumb, yeah? It's not fair to call you dumb. There's there's really no way that you can call someone unintelligent after doing that. You now, Some people are better at speaking than others. Some people have different knowledges than others, of course, right? There's still a degree of cognitive abilities and worldviews and perspectives and paradigm abilities, and maybe I'll get into some of that a bit later. <laughs> That's getting a bit... I don't want to get too heavy on us, but... Yeah, the people who are poised, the people who can get sucked into this thing that just explodes everything, that's, that's really who I want to talk to. That's who I want to reach because that is the sort of person that I know can get so much out of knowledge, of change, of transformative practice of techniques. And I spoke to this guy, I said, okay, okay, so what are you doing? You've got, you've got your room, you've got the internet, and you've got books. So you're listening to YouTube videos, you're listening to podcasts, you're reading books, and then you're doing meditation, you're going on a retreat, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's realized that all the things that he's learned from being in that room, it's not enough because it's just knowledge. It's not penetrating into his experience. And that's why he wanted to go on the retreat. That's why he was going on the retreat. And that's exactly right. Yeah? You can't just be sitting in your room listening to podcasts and reading books. You can't. It's not enough. It's never going to be enough. What you need, and this is what I said to the guy, what you need is techniques, What you need is methods, and you actually have to be doing them, right? You have to have skin in the game. You have to have commitment. You have to be following the instructions, yeah? So on my podcast now, we've probably got over a 100 techniques, dozens and dozens and dozens of techniques, all sorts of techniques, and almost all of them you can do at home. So the other side of this is... You want to be listening to better stuff. You want to be reading better books. So you want to read books on psychology, philosophy, religion, personal development, mysticism, meta theory, metaphysics, epistemology, these sorts of things, right? And you want to be listening to things? Well, well here's a quick way to understand what you want to be listening to online. Think of it as you've got, I I mean, this is a big issue, all right? So, what to listen to on the internet. This is a big issue. Let's just flag that as a big thing that you need to be contending with. Because if you're sitting in your room and you're trying to figure it out, you need something that will help you guide the wild, wild west, which is the internet which is the informational sphere, because it is the wild, wild west at the moment. And there are so many ways that I can answer that by saying it in an analytical way. So I can give you an analysis, how to analyze the information, right? So we can put it into a developmental psychology model, or we can put it into a paradigm model, or we can put it into a system, or we can put it into a theory, right? And this thing that we're putting it into is is how... These are the things that say how you navigate the information and analyze the information out there. But there's a better way, and I've thought of this, and this is so important. There's something that can really... Bypass all of that and make it so simple for you. What you want to do is listen and consume information which expands your attention. Now, remember that. Remember that. That's the key. This is the key point. This is the cornerstone. Listen to something which expands your attention span. Now, so many things on the internet are constructed in such a way as to gratify your short attention span. They're actually designed to make it easier for you to have a short attention span and to make it short and to shrink it and i think if you really look at it and you really think this through you should be able to tell when something is expanding your attention span and when it's shortening it a simple way of describing it would be well how long does the frame change right so if you're watching a video how long does the shot last how long how many different changes between the shots are there, how many different images are there, right? Now, some are very fast, some change quite rapidly. And those are the ones that are shortening your attention span. So gravitate towards the ones that are moving less until you get to the extreme where it's just a camera, right? Think of a camera just sitting right in front of someone. It's one shot nonstop for two hours, right? So that's the other extreme of that. Now, I would actually say, don't even look at the internet. What you really, really want to do is actually get your eyes away from the screen altogether, entirely, and just go audio. So you want to be moving entirely towards podcasts, entirely towards lectures, speeches, talks, these sorts of things. And that's where you want it to be headed. Now, with those, even within those, you've got short attention span and long attention span, right? Because for one thing, you've got the length of the video or the length of the talk. You can have short talks or long talks. So gravitate towards long talks. Listen to people who speak for a really long time. Listen to people who really go into subjects in all their details. So... The further sort of smaller nuance of that is how often they change subjects or how often they change their sort of tone of voice or those sorts of things. And you can you can just tell that generally, aesthetically. Like is it like like short attention span is like snappy. It's sharp. It's like the the I actually call this the sketchy chicken syndrome. And I'm probably going to do a whole episode just dedicated to this because this is a huge subject, right? This is a big issue. This is something that more people are talking about and you need to contend with. So (laughs) that's a bit of a rabbit hole that we've gone down. And I didn't say all this to this guy (laughs) as we were talking. We were sort of talking back and forth and we were sharing personal stories as well. So it wasn't like... It wasn't like I was. I wasn't giving him I I wasn't giving him a podcast episode as we talk. I don't. I don't talk like this in conversation. Conversation is different to what we're doing here. What we're saying here. What I'm saying here. It's a different format, so it's it's different. But <laughs> this is what came up for me in meeting this guy. So further from just consuming better information and reading books there's also this thing of like what penetrates into your experience like what goes into your being how does knowledge bridge that thing from your mind into your your heart into your feelings into your emotions into your actions, into your motivations, those sorts of things. That's really a question that is so important to answer, so important to understand. Because it's amazing that you can just sit around and think, right? And this is another thing that comes up on the meditation retreat. It is possible to sit. For 10 days and just think. You just think and think and think. And you can think around and around and around in circles. And this is another one of those things like memory. So you remember how just before I was talking about memory and the frequency with which they return and the flavors of them. And then there's that extra component, that phenomenon, that force, that little... Thing that is sort of part of it or not part of it at the same time, and it's like navigating the memories, and it's abstract, it's mystical, you can't put it into words. Well, the same thing applies with thoughts. The same thing goes with thinking. Now, you can say, well, thinking is memory, isn't it, Dosta? Well, not exactly. Depends on how you want to talk about our theory of mind. And we don't need to get in that, I just mean generally. It's just like thinking generally. So, learning, I mean to sort of crack this and fry this a little bit. Thinking is not the same as doing the meditation technique. And you learn the components of thinking by actually Learning that difference by doing the technique. Now, to see that the mind can just go on and on and on is really one of the most profound insights that I've ever come across. And another way of putting this is that the, the mind is limited because it's unending. And to see through that experientially really opens up so much. It really changes so much. and And this is actually something well... This really was the juice of my 10-day retreat. This really was the key insight into my retreat, which I just got back from today. It's seeing how the thoughts run through my head and then how my behaviors respond to that and how I'm just living up to these things in my mind, these things that I'm thinking over and over and over again. Now, that's tricky because a lot of those things feel good, right? And the other thing about a 10-day retreat is that you actually get clarity in the things you're thinking about and the things you want to do with your life, right? There's this freshness to how you want to behave, what sort of routine you want, where you're going, what you're going to achieve, what you want to work on, these sorts of things. So it feels good, right? But the deeper thing is seeing the dynamics. It's seeing the phenomenon of thoughts and how they're connected to behaviors. And that is just unlike anything else. And I mean, another thing this guy asked me is, is Vipassana meditation the deepest that there is? And (laughs) I had to laugh. I had to just laugh. I mean, it's been a, I mean, I'm always in this state of having so much more than can possibly be said. (laughs) So, I mean, that's why I laugh, right? Because it's such a, it's such a joke. (laughs) but my answer was we've got traditional meditation and then we've got modern meditation and they're two very different things and in modern meditation there are some really freaky techniques there are some very powerful methods and techniques that go very deep and another thing I said was well, it's not exactly about depth, and it's quite hard to explain, or it's quite hard to compare, I should say, depth between techniques, because many of them are going after different things. They're going after different parts within your phenomenon, the phenomenon of your experience. So it's quite hard to compare. But having done this 10 days, and having done like six or seven of them now, it's pretty safe for me to say that for me, in my experience, there's really nothing that can replace traditional meditation. There's nothing that... There's no way around it. It, it has to be done. It has to be done. It has to... It, it's it's just given for me now. There's There's... There's no way around it. There's no substitute. So, if you're not experienced with traditional meditation, get some experience. And maybe this is like the jazz musician who plays traditional jazz as well as modern jazz. And his traditional jazz is maybe not so good and his modern jazz is more his thing. Even in that case, well... You have to have the tradition, right? Jazz is tradition in so many ways. And so I think that's a fair analogy. And I just, I mean, I just get so much out of it. It's so amazing to have these experiences and to talk to these people. And I mean, there's just so much that, Comes from it. So those are a little (laughs) bunch of thoughts that have come from this last 10 days. And I hope that's piqued your interest. I hope that's given you something to follow on with. And probably the next step after this is to listen to some of my techniques. Go and listen to maybe the series Learning to Breathe. It's a 10-part series where we discuss dozens of breathing techniques. And many of them you can do at home. So, definitely more to come very soon. And thanks very much for listening. Have a beautiful day. And that's all I have to say for now. Silently I look around me And I see all this world Has come to be Silently I turn towards you And through and through I see what we must do say